So what are you worried about today? Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And I want to encourage you to be filled with joy. This is part two out of how to remain joyful even when you're under attack. You know, 91% of what we worry about never actually happens. So you're trying to sleep and it's all well after bedtime, but you're tossing and you're turning and you can't get comfortable. You notice you're replaying the same scenario over and over in your head. Some vision of tomorrow, of what might happen, of how your hope could be dashed. Now, if you've had this experience, you are far from alone. One researcher said, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try to prevent misery in the future. For chronic warriors, this process leads them to continually be distressed in all parts of their lives. Worry sucks the joy out of you here and now. Now, on this study on worry, participants were asked to record their worries and how they caused distress and how these worries interfered in their lives. Each night at 10 p.m., they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. Then, 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry, and they reported whether any of these worries had become true. The good news is that this study found that worrisome people, 91.4% of their worries, never actually happened. You see, worrying caused only one misery and did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever they were worrying about. This is mainly because the hotly anticipated events never transpired. Remember what Jesus said, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Well, the Apostle Paul certainly had a whole lot that he could have been worried about, but he seems like he was immune to worry. And so today, I want to give you four ways to stay joyful even when you're under attack. Let me read the main text quickly for you, and then we will extrapolate these four points that Paul shares from his beloved epistle to the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then he says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy, out of rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up some trouble for me while I'm in chains. I want to stop there for just a moment. Have you ever thought that maybe what somebody is saying about you, who's driven by selfish ambition not to preach Christ and the gospel, have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, they're doing that to stir up trouble for you? I think there's some troublemakers, and I think when you look at spiritual warfare, there are those who try to wreak havoc on the followers of Christ. But look what Paul says. I'm not going to get hung up on that. 
He says, but what does it matter? Uh, the important thing is this, that in every way, whether their motives are false or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I remember many years ago, we were going through a difficult time in our church and people were leaving. And I was like trying to figure out what exactly was happening. And, and we were just going through that time. Now, if you've been in church work any length of time, you've experienced it. If you've stayed at a church more than probably a decade, you've seen this happen. People seem to be unsettled and, you know, double-minded people are unstable in all their ways. And I remember uh, going through that whole ordeal and I, and I talked to a seasoned pastor and he reminded me that when people leave, sometimes God is in the middle of that. Sometimes people say, well, God told me I should leave. And I'm like, God told you to leave? You got an audible voice from God that he told you you should leave? Whether that's true or not, it is true because ultimately they're leaving and, you know, you can't thwart the sovereignty of God. And sometimes as I look back, those who left really did more of a favor and they left angry, but when they left, they could no longer do any more damage. And so Paul says here, and he's getting a little worked up about it, right? Those who are driven with the wrong ambitions, they're not sincere. They're stirring up trouble for Paul, or so they thought they could stir up trouble with Paul, but it ends up actually becoming a blessing. And he says, Christ is being preached. Sometimes God has to move somebody out of your life because that person is blocking the message of Christ. And Paul says, because of this, I rejoice. And he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and through God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And that's amazing that Paul says this, right? Because he's not delivered. He's saying this prior to being delivered. In other words, Paul knew in God's time, he will set me free. In God's way, in God's time, he will provide this opportunity for me to be delivered. In other words, truth always comes to the surface. And so he says, I eagerly expect, and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Oh, I love how Paul is putting this. He's saying, my big hope is this, that I won't be ashamed of the gospel, that I won't lose courage, that Christ will be exalted in me no matter what happens to me, whether I live or whether I die. And then he says, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? He said, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you and I will see the progress and the joy in your faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Uh, do you get what Paul's saying here? He's saying, I'm going to be with you, and I'm torn between the two. I want to go home and be with Jesus. There's no doubt about it. That's better for me. But it's necessary that I remain with you, and I want to be part of the progress of the joy you have in your faith. And he says, I'm not going to want you to be boasting upon me. Boast on Christ in what he has done. And in verse 27, 
the same thing he said of himself. He says, I pray that I'll not be ashamed. I pray that I have sufficient courage to always share Christ and that Christ will always be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. He says, whatever happens to you, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you're stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And then he says, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. Paul is in the midst of a difficult time, but he's not frightened. He's not lost his courage. His concern is that he would not exalt Christ and that he would be ashamed of the gospel. He says, I don't want that to happen. I want Christ to be exalted no matter what happens to me. Now, Paul is very humble in how he's responding here. He doesn't even bring himself really into the equation. His number one thought is Christ being exalted. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. I want Christ to be exalted. I want to have enough courage so that I won't disappoint my Lord. It doesn't matter what happens to him. He's totally unconcerned almost as to what happens. And so he reminds the Philippian believers that when they are being attacked, they should, number one, look at that attack from God's angle. Instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Ask, what is God doing? Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 12, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me has helped me to spread the good news. I'm spreading the gospel. He says, I'm not trying to figure out why I'm locked up. All I know is that I'm here before the palace guard. I have an audience here that needs to hear the gospel. I may not have liked how I got here, but that's irrelevant because I'm here spreading the good news. Would you say that of your life, everything that has happened to you right now has helped you to spread the gospel? You know, there's another thing that when we're looking at being attacked, looking at it from God's angle, am I helping somebody else? In Genesis chapter 50, we have the story of Joseph and the Old Testament character Joseph. He was a fascinating guy. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was left for dead. He was incarcerated. He was falsely accused. The list goes on and on. But the Bible records nothing negative about the life of Joseph. So that brings me a lot of courage, right? Because oftentimes people are going to say things about you that is not true. And if you allow that to eat away at you, it will ruin you. Now, I'm not saying you deny it, that they've said evil against you, but you don't dwell on it. You don't get hung up on it. In Genesis chapter 15, Joseph finally has this opportunity to reunite with his brothers. They need some food. The old man has sent them to go to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh of Egypt, and Joseph's that person number two in charge. And so they come before him, and he reveals himself after a series of events. He reveals himself to his brothers, and the first thing he says to his brothers, now they're filled with fear. But the first thing he says to them, you know, you guys, you know all that stuff you did to me? Uh, You meant it for evil. Yeah, when you threw me in that pit and told dad I was dead, you meant it for evil. When you sold me 
into slavery. You meant it for evil. You wanted to kill me, but I was spared. You meant it for evil, but God, but God meant it for good. You see, God had to get Joseph to Egypt. Now, Joseph probably didn't like the way that he was transported to Egypt by way of a slave caravan, but God wanted him in Egypt. God wanted him to learn some things along the way. God brought him to Egypt so that he could bring about the rescue and keep alive many people. You see, God moves us from point A to point B so that we can help somebody else. So look at that attack from God's angle. Is what is happening to me causing me to glorify God? Romans 8, 28, a verse that everybody knows, right? We know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purposes. Tim Tebow said this, I'm just thankful for everything. All the blessings in my life, trying to stay that way. I think that's the best way to start your day and finish your day. It keeps everything in perspective. Thank the Lord for everything. You see, when problems attack me, it's a testimony to unbelievers. Paul says in verse number 13, Philippians chapter 1, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. When problems attack me, not only is it a testimony to unbelievers, but it's also an example to believers. In verse 14, Paul says, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. You know, I had a really bad year several years ago. Perhaps one of the most difficult years of my life. And I won't rehash it for you, but I sincerely hope that I handled it in a Christ-like fashion. And that my congregation saw a small example of how to stay on the course with confidence and declare the message of the gospel with God's power. So, if we want to remain joy-filled, we've got to look at the attacks from God's angle. Number two, we've got to look at the attacks, and, and not only from God's angle, but we, we need to never let others control my attitude. You know, when an attack comes, it is easy for that attitude to go south. But look what Paul does. We're Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, now, of course, some of these people preach the gospel because they're jealous and they're quarrelsome, but others from goodwill, and that's the Good News Bible translation. He says, those who do it with goodwill do it from love because they know that God has given me the work of defending the gospel. The others do not proclaim Christ sincerely, but from a spirit of selfish ambition, they think that they will make more trouble for me while I'm in prison. Albert Einstein said this, weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. When we are under attack, how is our attitude? That pressure will reveal the true attitude in our hearts, and that attitude will become a weakness of character, or it will become a strength of character. A healthy attitude is contagious, but don't wait to catch it from others. Be a carrier. Zig Ziglar says your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. 
Other people will always attempt to influence your attitude. If you tend to be a person with a bad attitude, you know what you're going to be drawn to? You're going to be drawn to others with that same attitude, and they will feed that negativity. If you tend to be an optimistic person, you'll also be drawn to others who see the possibilities in every problem. You know, it's harder to be an optimistic, but Paul was an optimist, but he was also a realist. Let's look at his attitude in verse number 18. Philippians 1, 18. He says, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or for wrong reasons, they are preaching about Christ. So I'm happy. And I'm going to continue to be happy. Drop down to verse 27. Paul says, remember always to live as Christians should live. Standing side by side with one another, strong purpose, telling the good news fearlessly, no matter what your enemies may do, they will see this as a sign of their downfall. But for you, it will be a clear sign from God that He is with you. In Acts chapter 5, Paul runs into a, a scenario. Now, this is before his conversion, but Paul probably heard about this event prior to his conversion in Acts chapter 5. And I want to just read this to you because this is uh, not Paul writing, but Paul was probably aware of this event. In Acts 5.33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that the man be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Now get the picture here, right? They're wanting to put to death the apostles, and there's a Pharisee that's in their midst, and he stands up, and he gives an address. And he says, now listen, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. He says, do you remember this guy Thaddeus appeared? He claimed to be somebody. He had about 400 men that were rallied around him. He was killed. And all of his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. And then there was another guy by the name of Judas of Galilee, apparently in those days of the census, and he led a band of people in a revolt, and he too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it is from God, You're not going to be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, this speech by Gamaliel so persuaded them, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And I love this, right? Here, this wise man is saying, listen, if this thing's from God, you can't stop it. If it's not from God, it's going to fizzle out. Paul says, We have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and and you know that I'm still in the middle of it. So what are you worried about today? What are you concerned about? You see, we're all in a struggle. The issue is not, am I in a struggle? The issue is, Will I respond right in the midst of this struggle? If you want to keep your joy intact, 
even when you're under attack. Look at your trials from God's angle. Number two, don't let anybody else control your attitude. And then number three, trust God's antidote. We're going back to Philippians chapter one, and now we're in verse number 19. And Paul says, I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. It is my eager expectation, in verse number 20, and my hope that I will not be ashamed, but that will full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Paul says, here's the antidote. Would you pray for me? Would you allow me to be led to my deliverance? I want to honor God in my body, whether that deliverance be by life or by death. Spirit of God, help me. Give me the strength to go through this difficult time. Maybe Paul had this same passage in mind in Philippians when he wrote Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 17. And he says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and, and how deep is the love of God. You see, we are either in the process of resisting God's truth, or we're in the process of being shaped and molded by His truth. If we resist His truth, we will lose our joy. As we embrace His truth, we experience His joy. You know the word deliver. It's found 252 times in the New International Version of the Bible. It's most often used in three ways. Number one would be God delivering us from our enemies. That's kind of how it is in Matthew 6, 13, where God is delivering Jesus and he's being led up into temptation. And then he prays, but deliver us from the evil one. So sometimes God delivers us from the evil one, delivers us from our enemies. Sometimes this word deliver is used to deliver us over to our enemies. And this is found in Genesis chapter 14. It's found more often in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. In Genesis 14, 20, it says, And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And then we discover from this passage that the enemies were given over to Abraham, and God gave him victory by delivering his enemies to him. And Abraham had a time of celebration after this happened in Genesis chapter 14, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And uh, we see the incorporation of the tithe here, even before the Mosaic law. Some people say, well, I'm not going to tithe because that was Old Testament law. Well, Abraham tithed even before the law was given. So a tenth is that first top of the portion of your increase that you're given over to God. So God sometimes delivers us from our enemies. Sometimes God delivers our enemies over to us into our hand. And then number three, Jesus talks about sometimes we are delivered over to the enemy. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is predicting his death. Now, it's actually the second time he did this as they were gathered in Galilee. And he said to his disciples, 
the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, if Jesus could be delivered over to the hands of men for the deliverance of men through paying for our sins, sometimes that will happen to us as well. Well, I've got one last point I've got to cover, and let me cover it quickly. God's angle, the right attitude, trusting God's antidote, and then number four, stay focused on my purpose more than my attackers. Paul says, I am sure of this, that I will be with you, and I want to add to your progress joy in the faith. So when you go through difficult times, our first response is generally to blame somebody else for the pain we are facing. Most of us tend to be slow learners. What we don't learn, we always will repeat. I want you to understand that there's a purpose behind your attack. You know, I don't think all of my misery, all of my hard times have a a spiritual emphasis to it, but there's always a lesson to be learned. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I hope that if you're looking for a place to worship, that you will consider coming to Hickory Ridge Community Church this Sunday at 9 and 1045. Well, God bless you. Have a great weekend. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.